It's the hardest part is saying the word hello without sounding completely fucking stupid. It's for some reason, just to start the intro is really, really, really difficult. Do it like Lionel Richie. Hello. <laughs> oh my god you broke sasha <laughs> uh -oh, uh -oh. <laughs> come back girl <laughs> okay 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 ah god my cheeks already my hurt eyes. we haven't even started close my eyes <laughs> close my eyes and go inside okay hold on all right. Hello, I'm Sasha Chambers, and this is Eating After Midnight, a podcast where me and my best friend Amy Rivers reheat movies from our childhoods to see if the leftovers have retained their flavor or leave a bad taste in our mouths. It's also about how these movies influenced, inspired, and shaped us, whether the ideas they cooked up and fed us nourished our bodies and minds or just rotted our teeth and clogged our mental arteries. Amy and I do not have any real cred as critics, but we do have a genuine love of movies as well as a beautiful friendship that spans 26 years. And today we are joined by someone who has also been with us for every one of those 26 years. And before I introduce this person, I wanna make something very, very clear. Because we have known this person for 26 years, Amy and I, and Amy and I only, are allowed to refer to this person as Chris or potentially <laughs> Monkey. All of you out there in Eating After Midnight Land, do not get it twisted. Today we are with Christian Van Bremen, dear, dear, dearest, dearest, oldest, oldest friend and love of our lives corners of our hearts, huge corners of our hearts. Christian Van Bremen is an artist who wears many hats. He is currently an editorial stylist and global educator for a major hair brand. In addition to teaching about haircutting and styling, he also teaches communication and personal development courses and practices as a certified coach. Later in the evening when the sun goes down, Christian switches hats and spins post-punk and techno in bars. These days, as a socially conscious individual, he does so on Zoom. Check it out. It's always a good show. He also produces electronic music in his studio in Brooklyn. He is a lover of counter-cultural history with a vast knowledge of music, art, and film, and the biggest Madonna fan you'll ever meet oh. in the Midnight World, Christian Van Bremen. Hello. Hi. How's it going? So Two of my good. bestest, bestest friends for more than half my life. I'm so I'm I'm like one of the luckiest people in the world to have. Ever. We're the lucky ones. Oh we're, we're also both ex-roommates of yours. Yes, that's true. We all live together. We've lived together collectively. And then Amy, you and I live together, just the two of us. And then Sasha stole your apartment. Yeah. And then, well, <laughs> no, Sasha, I gave Sasha my apartment. You gave her that's an right. apartment. I mean, if that's not friendship. 
I don't know what it is. <laughs> I mean, I did pack all his stuff while I was in his apartment. She did. That oh, was she always wants to get like, I did fit for the things I'd give it. No, honestly, <laughs> the best packing I've ever experienced. And like she shipped my entire life from Los Angeles across the country. Thank you for that. Thank you for oh. a lifetime of friendship. And oh, I'm so excited. God, are we starting this? I know. I'm going to break my heart. I do love that we are on like three different corners of the Northern Hemisphere. We've got you in the UK, Amy. Sasha, you're in Los Angeles. And I'm in New York. I love this like triangulation and this, the fact that the pandemic has actually brought us together in a completely different way. We have actually used this podcast to reconnect with very old friends and it's been probably the, the highlight of the podcast the opportunity to reconnect with these um these individuals who we call friends who, who we call friends <laughs> <laughs> to their face <laughs> their face <laughs> um, so what film are we doing we're getting into the groove eh we're getting into the groove <laughs> where we were on our last episode, desperately seeking a plot line here. <laughs> we have been bathed in glorious filmmaking with desperately seeking Susan. Do you want to, do we have the IMDB for this? We today? do. We do. I've got it. I've got it. Aboard New Jersey suburban housewife's fascination with a kooky character she read about in the personal columns leads to her being mistaken for the woman herself. God, that's, you can't even read that without stumbling. That's terrible. It's terrible. Mm. Desperately mm. seeking a description. I was fucking awful. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. So Desperately Seeking <laughs> Susan, 1985. It stars um, Roseanne Arquette, Aiden Quinn, Mark Blum, RIP. He passed away just uh, 2020 of the coronavirus. Uh, Robert Joy, Laurie Metcalf, and Madonna as Susan. There is also a bunch of other people in this movie, <laughs> um, including Will Patton, who plays the, the, the bad guy, right? And he's been in tons of things. He was in no way out he was like the bad guy in no way out but you've probably seen him in ten thousand other things it doesn't um, matter he'll just always be the creepiest mccreepenstein from desperately seeking susan can we just wait for one moment why is he so fucking creepy part of it is that bad bleach job that bad bleach job really does give you the creeps right like it gives you the yeah. the air of you're on the fucking lamb probably <laughs> for like killing a bunch of kids and like burying them in an old freezer somewhere on a farm in Pennsylvania, <laughs> something real, real sick and weird. He's so creepy. He is creep voice, he's creep stuff, creep stuff. His weird hunchback walk thing. Oh um, yeah, he's that so slouchy, eerie. sneaky vibe. He's, yeah. Yeah, you want some candy? I got some sugar babies. Oh, Ew. that line, that that line on in Battery Park. He's like, hey, yes. lady, you want some candy? Like also who, who like who? taunts or try and, like, tries to like draw somebody in by offering them candy? A grown ass human at that and fucking sugar babies? No. Tempt me with three musketeers. No. Exactly. Or a Kit Kat bar. Don't exactly. call it. Break me off a piece, babe, but don't shake me a box of sugar babies. That's <laughs> real creepy. Real creepy. Uh, comedian Stephen Wright is in this film. John Turturro's in this film. Uh huh. Gian Giancarlo Apposito. Esposito. 
Oh, did I see that? Can you just pretend? I'm not going to, I'm going to edit this out. Sasha, you say his name. I'm not going to, no, we're not going to edit it out because we've already called it out in the last episode. This is the thing that Amy does. She butchers <laughs> names, she reverses consonants and vowels, and it's adorable, and it's what you do, and it's fine. Giancarlo. Very sorry. Um, and and the fucking Magenson is in it. I love her. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually something that I, if you don't mind my chiming in, when it comes to the cast, something that's so amazing about this film is that it's a who's who of the downtown punk scene of New York in the 1980s. And Agma and Anne Magnuson is one of those. She, you know, she's a performance artist and all that, but she she threw a club called Club 57 in the Lower East Side. And she gave Klaus Nomi his first show. So she's like so many people like talking heads, all these kinds of like really cool downtown people got their start playing at Club 57. But then there's also Richard Hell from the punk band television. He's like a punk legend. He's the guy in the bed in, in Atlantic City. He has no lines, just his feet. You see like his armpit uh -huh. at a certain point. Also the original drummer from Sonic Youth is the guy who she like, he opens up the newspaper crate for her and then she just throws all the newspapers on the ground. He's like, whoa, right? That guy, he's is the original that who drummer. He is? Cause I was like, who yeah. is this fucking guy? Okay, all right. And yeah. he was in a lot of independent films in the 1990s yeah. that I absolutely yeah. love. I can't remember. Um, there's I also there's think he's one, really hot. I, I forgot his name. Yeah, he's he is. He's he's yeah, one of really those hot. very strange looking guys who's very like John Turturro. But he's never been my thing, John Turturro. Well, well I, like we know, I'm a, I'm a woman of varied tastes, and John Turturro can go. <laughs> if you're listening, John. Richard Edson is his name, the the guy with the newspapers. Yeah, he did he did some great movies, Indian films, in in um, the 1990s, the age of indie. And I love him. I think that the, the other thing is this movie, even the tiniest parts were actors that went on to be pretty. Well, yeah, I'm trying to look successful. up his name right now because I'm just bad at actors names, period. But homie from Do the Right Thing was in it. The one who's oh, yeah. stepped on and he's like, you messed up my sneakers. I should bust your ass to the yuppie that moves into the brownstone. Him. Yeah, he mm -hmm. was in it. He was the guy with the hat and the sunglasses. Yeah. When she knocks yeah. over the table on St. Mark Street. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is one of my favorite parts. Me too. I still, I've seen this movie. I'm not even joking. You guys probably 500 times. I could recite it. I could lip sync the whole movie. No joke. <laughs> and that, that scene still makes me laugh out loud every single time because it's so yeah. uncomfortable. Just the way she like, she just completely loses all her like faculties and takes that table out is so hilarious. And also to just how she's just like frozen with waspy suburban fright like she doesn't know how to like deal with the hat and the sunglass guy and just like say anything she's just so twisted up and like i have to catch i have to catch susan and i can't i can't verbally say i don't want these sunglasses and hats so i'm just gonna walk away i'm just gonna <laughs> walk away with them like what the fuck so it's interestingly enough um christian to your point there was a lot of, this is like New York punk scene, late seventies, early eighties. The director, let's uh, someone else say it. <laughs> Susan, Susan Seidelman. Seidelman. Susan, Susan Seidelman. So she <laughs> directed, what, before this, what was the film she directed? She directed a film. Um, it's called Smithereens. I think it came out in 1982. It's very downtown New York. It's about this 
young woman who wants so badly to be, you know, part of the punk scene or new wave scene of New York at the time. She like lives in a trailer in a bombed out lot in downtown New York. And it's just, it's very indie. It's very raw and it's so good. It's definitely like this movie, a who's who of the downtown New York punk scene. Very cool. It was critically acclaimed. I have not seen it, but you know, definitely one to catch out. But I have seen other films she's made, like Making Mr. Right, which With is- With Anne Magnuson, again, right. And, and oh. uh, John Malkovich, which is actually one of my faves. And She Devil, which is amazing with oh Roseanne Parr and Meryl Streep. Two amazing films, yeah. three amazing films because Desperately Seeking Susan is amazing. She also directed the first, a lot of the first season of Sex in the City. Oh, we'll try to no wonder. That. No wonder it was good in the beginning. Okay. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, so yeah. So we can see how this film has a head start above and beyond. Who's that girl? Right. We've got <laughs> Susan Seidelman at the helm, right? So it, this is now directed by a woman. I'm blanking on the name of the woman at Orion who produced Desperately Seeking Susan. But then this mm -hmm. script was also written by Leora Barish. So it's just all indie, all female, all the time. And so for that, all good. Because <laughs> this, is, this is possibly, this is probably one of the better portrayals of any, of all female characters in any 80s movie we're ever going to see. And mind you, this is probably one of the first films we've watched thus far that was directed by a woman. Literally, mm. I don't think uh -huh. we've watched a film that has been. There are some that are coming up that are directed by women, but this is the first one. And and it shows. Can we just say that? Sash, when did you see this? How did you like it? Way back when? Um, I have a feeling that I probably saw this in the theaters, like the minute that it came out. Because again, just like given the way that I grew up, and you know the people that I grew up around, like there was no way that we weren't gonna go and see a movie that was starring someone that was, you know, of the music world. And I remember just feeling so like excited seeing this movie because in a lot of these characters, I mean, I didn't grow up in New York, grew up in LA, but again, around musicians and artists. So artists who wore tutus, this kind of a thing, like these were people that I grew up around. So I was really excited to see the kind of freaky artist weirdos that I grew up around reflected on the screen as real people in an exciting story. And I was just, yeah, super pumped for it. And of course, where I learned what sexy meant from the white wedding video, <laughs> I learned what cool meant from Madonna in this movie. Tight, tight, agreed. Fuck, this is her at her absolute coolest. Absolutely. Oh my Absolutely. God. <laughs> Christian, did you, did you watch this when you were a young man in La Crescenta? No, I was at the time I was living in Eagle Rock um, and we used to go to Eagle Rock Plaza. My mom would pick us up from school and my mom always had things that she needed to pick up at the mall. So we went to the Eagle Rock <laughs> Plaza quite often and there was a movie theater in the mall. I was already very aware of Madonna I think I was probably six or seven years old. I remember that it was playing in the theater and there, they had the poster outside of the movie theater. And I remember just like begging my mom, can we see it, can we see it? And I remember she took me to see a movie at the theater, but it was Care Bears the movie or something <laughs> like that. 
not desperately what? seeking I, and I remember seeing these these Madonna wannabes because remember at the time like all the girls that were into Madonna started dressing and you know, emulating Madonna so I remember seeing these cool Madonna wannabes walking into the theater and just wishing that I could be with them and be one of those girls but instead I'm getting dragged in to watch Care Bears the movie which was trash um, tr- absolute trash and you know when you're a kid and you know that you're seeing a trash movie that means it's really right so um (laughs) but then like I think um when it came out on video I saved up my allowance and I bought it on VHS then my brother and I my brother and I are both gay we're both massive Madonna fans and have been since the get-go and so it was a, a major bonding for us almost every weekend when the Saturday morning cartoons would end we would pop in that VHS and just watch that movie fuck every single weekend Mm-hmm. I love that. I watched it a zillion bazillion times with my best friends. I can't even tell you. I don't remember seeing it in a movie theater, but I do remember watching it again and again and again. And it was just, I was Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. I was obsessed with the Like a Virgin album. I was obsessed with the True Blue album. So, but this was the first movie, right? So this this came out before this was her first film yes this is her first film uh so so yeah I so I don't but I actually don't remember that much about it being young and watching it Mm -hmm. what I didn't realize when I was young and watching it was what an amazing film it is like it was just a Madonna movie when I was young right now watching it on the reheat it's like this is just such good filmmaking like it's just so refreshing like the from every performance in it to the script is fantastic how they to... deliver exposition with like with the nefertiti earrings on the newscast before gary's you know hot tub yes. commercial like all of the little things the way that they dispense with the information is just so so smart you could almost argue that in ways this is a screwball comedy as well to a degree it just has a cool factor and the script is really well written. I will say this, however, when I was watching it as a child, of course, it was all about Madonna. I wanted to be Madonna everything. This time, the character I, of course, identified with the most with was Roberta. And I think that even as a child, I grew up not around artists. I grew around, you know, law enforcement and a telephone operator in the boring San Fernando, you know, the boring side of San Fernando Valley, all at the West Valley, very suburban, white bread, boring as fuck. Even to get to a mall, it took you 20 minutes. And I was very much like her looking at people like Susan wanting to be someone like that, but awkwardness, that kind of awkward klutzy thing that she does. She's brilliant because you could also argue that the, the lead of this movie is Rosanna Arquette, of course. She absolutely is. Brilliant in this. And I love me some Rosanna Arquette. It was actually supposed to be her star vehicle. She hadn't really had many films before that. Mostly she'd done a lot of TV and made for TV movies. And then this was going to be like her first step into making a more Hollywood movie, even though it was a low budget indie film. They cast Madonna and she was still an unknown. She had her first album had come out yet already, but she 
um, it hadn't really gained traction yet. Her, none of her songs were really getting that much airplay. And then during the course of the movie, the, the shoot was nine weeks long. And during the course of the movie, she started out as an unknown. And then midway through some of her songs from her, her first album that had come out over a year before were starting to show up on the charts. And then she had already finished producing the Like a Virgin album and the single Like a Virgin came out toward the end of the shoot. And then bam, so at the beginning of the shoot, she was an unknown. By the end of the shoot, they had to start hiring security to protect Madonna because she was already being hounded. And then that speed of her fame, like that meteoric rise that she had changed the trajectory of the film. And it wound up not being a vehicle for Rosanna Arquette as it had been intended. And they actually wound up accelerating the um, post-production time to get it out earlier to you know, ride the wave of this like sudden Madonna frenzy. So it came out like only like, I think four months or five months after they wrapped shooting. Wow. And then it just became yeah. the Madonna movie. Yeah, to the point where didn't Rosanna Arquette get an award for best supporting actress for this when she's she even got a still, BAFTA. she's, yeah, she got a BAFTA for best supporting actress when she's clearly the lead of the movie. So, I mean, from what I read about Rosanna Arquette's time on this, on this shoot and how she felt about it, she's just so down to earth and stone cold cool that she didn't really give a fuck. She was like, whatever, we're making a movie and whatever was going to make the movie successful and, and be good, that's fine. That's mm -hmm. okay. Like she's just not, she's not that person at all. Mm -mm. Which is good because there can only be one of those people on set at a time. And Madonna was already there. So there's mm -hmm. that, right? There is that. Because you know, as soon as Madonna stepped on the set of that film, that was her goal. If she, she there was no chance that she was, she was too singularly minded and focused on, on the trajectory of her career to not have that movie become about her while she was going to be in it. That's for sure, right? So true. Absolutely, absolutely. But so this movie starts. Yeah, let's get into the soup. Let's, napkins on the lap, spoon in the hand. <laughs> let's do it. So this movie starts in the hairstylist shop where Roberta is getting her hair done for her birthday party, thrown for her by her narcissistic POS husband. I can't stand Gary. I can't stand Gary for so, so, so many reasons. He's just such a dick. It's her birthday party and he wants to show his own commercial in the middle of it. Did any of you clock that there's only pictures of him on the fridge? That there's like five Polaroid yeah. pictures of him on the fridge? He's yeah. such a brick. And she's like walking around passing that hideous sushi. platter of sushi. Sushi! And it, it, it's like, it, it, it's his party. I didn't even realize until you just mentioned it. It's her birthday party. Yes. Yes, it's her birthday party where he is across the room speaking to his mistress so that he can commandeer the entire evening to watch his bullshit hot tub commercial. He's a turd. But I love the hair shop. It clearly has real hairstylists at all of those chairs because they are all far too stylish to have been styled. Does she get a perm, Chris? The, did Madonna get a perm? No, um, Roberta. Does, does Rosanna Arquette get a perm in that scene? When they're under the hairdryer and she has those tiny rollers, does she have a perm? No. Back then, women were still getting their hair set and sitting under a dryer, and then their hair would be brushed out and made to look really smooth and clean and wavy and bouncy. That was part of getting your hair done back then. That's just what that was. That was like literally getting her hair did. That's what that yes. was. 
Oh yeah. my God. I thought she was getting a perm because of course, later in the movie, she's got the same signature wave to her hair as Madonna, but mm-hmm. it's straight for half of it as well. So I was like, is that? Well, that's the thing, you know, I don't want to jump ahead, but something that I really love about Rosanna Arquette's appearance in this film is that at the beginning, there she is, she's this kind of like very controlled, meek housewife that's, you know, seeking experience and, and living vicariously through other people's experiences through the personal ads. And then as she gets more and more in tune with herself and frees herself up a bit, emulating these, the, you know, the life of Susan, her, her hair starts to get more wild and more unkempt looking. And I just, I love, I love how she, this progress that she has as a yes. character is so visual as much I as it is. I love it. Like, you know, I love it. When, when she shows up at Battery Park and she is in her most seventh grade, try hard, I'm a cool girl outfit with the purple jeans and the matching oh scarf. God. Like she's just trying yeah. so yeah. hard. I love her. I love her right there. I think that what's established first thing in this in this very first scene at the beauty parlor is the style of this film. The whole movie, you just get that vibe of how cool everything is. I mean, you said it about Madonna, but I think that's the the watershed effect over everything, the halo effect over everything. Director obviously brought a very stylish eye to it. Everything's pink in that scene. The way New York looks throughout the whole thing is fucking amazing. Even her new uh, New Jersey house is like to the T styled with like the oh, yeah. pink fucking um, wallpaper and the oh. brown tub. I love the ice cream sundae painting that's or a big oh photograph of an ice cream sundae in the kitchen that she's sitting in front of while eating oh. the cake at night. Absolutely. My God. I mean, Amazing. we're probably going to say it 10,000 times of just like the look of this whole movie, even from the very first shot to the very last shot is just like, just fucking sexy as fuck. I mean, yeah. um, Dez's apartment with the Bruce Lee fucking mural, fucking, you just want to live. All of it. All of it. You All of it. I, oh, you're living I... I freak out when when she's reading the personals and she's and and we get the exposition of like who is Susan and what is this all about this obsession she has with the personal ads and she says like yeah they just write these messages back and forth they chase each other all over the country and it's just so romantic and I'm like it is it is so romantic it's so romantic the thought of placing personal ads to stay in contact with your with your betrothed, with your love, with the one you're intended, the one that you want to like hang out with. No fucking text messages, no swiping, no tweeting. I also, fucking I personal ads, of, effort, yeah. effort people. Yeah. No. But the level of trust that their relationship has, it's like, <clears throat> you do you, I do me. Yeah. Just check the paper every day and I'll let you know where I am and when I'm coming back around. And it's just like, they're able to like, just be themselves and be independent, but also just know that they have this deep love for one another, which is so, so cool. So oh, you're f- talking about her boyfriend, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Jim and Susan, they have and such I a just, relationship. Yeah. I just really loved the fact that he let her be who she was. You know, he wasn't trying, looking to change her or to pin her down. He was happy chasing her throughout the world. And eventually someday they were going to end up together. He just had like, this faith in mm-hmm. their Keep the faith. love. Keep the faith. That's how the first, that's how the message starts. Oh, yeah, yeah, girl, I yeah. didn't even remember that. Keep the faith. Tattooable. 
Anyway, the one thing we didn't mention about this first scene is Lori Medcalf's in the first scene. And she is the queen of one-liners in this whole fucking movie. You know, like she's just- so fucking spot on pitch perfect as that like suburban judgmental uh shrill kind of woman and like when roberta takes off and gary is making himself a stress sandwich and she is talking to him about like no you know um did roberta have orgasms or did she have them with you anyway did she at least have orgasms with you and he's like what did, did phil donahue do a special or something some people just have oh, orgasms Gary, we don't have to talk. oh oh the way she reads him to phil that she's like you really are a pig you know that gary you are just like daddy when she die howl <laughs> there's never been a watch of that movie when she calls him a pig and says he's just like their daddy that i don't fall to my knees pissing myself <laughs> with laughter it's so funny oh she's she's just fucking brilliant in this i mean Lori Metcalf is brilliant in everything. And you almost forget that she was in this. Um, this is her tab. first film. No. Rum and Tab. She drinks really? her, character, yeah. her character drinks rum and tab. Like, is, is there yeah. anything more? <laughs> there, was a, there was a sticker on her refrigerator that I, like when Gary's making the stress sandwich, it's something like, if it's, if it tastes good, if you enjoy it, it's fattening or something like that. I don't, it's like one of the, <laughs> And this just takes me back to this idea of how actually the production design and the attention to detail that went into every single shot and every single aspect of what people were wearing down to the extras. I think one of my favorite parts of this movie are the extras actually. Oh my God, yes. They are. But I just love the production design is so spot on and part of what makes oh. the film so entertaining oh i love here's one of my favorite little um throwaway details when crystal says to her after she gets fired she's like god bad luck is really following you everywhere isn't it did either of you clock that the hotel room number in atlantic city was 1313 yeah <laughs> no so speaking of the the hotels um in atlantic city after we meet roberta now we're gonna meet susan we meet her at the hotel in Atlantic City and Richard Hell, AKA Meeker, yeah. is on the bed fast asleep. They've, they've had a tryst. She's taken photographs. She finds the personal ad from Jim and decides to pop out of there. But before she does, she steals some cash, some cutlery and an ornate pair of Egyptian earrings. Can we just for a second talk about how within just those five seconds, not only is she so fucking cool, but she's hot as fuck. She's just oh, yeah. smoldering, steamy sexiness for doing nothing but being herself, which is why the who's that girl thing is so upsetting. Exactly. As they try to force this sexiness on her, force this caricature of sexy on Madonna. It's like, just let her breathe. She doesn't need to do anything. I, I don't want to jump to this <laughs> already because, you know, Overall, right? Susan is jump a, in, splash the soup. <laughs> so she, you know, <laughs> like like the whole point of her character, and 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 her boyfriend Jim says it, and and obviously everyone in her world says it. She is 
you know, a force of nature and she's trouble, right? She gets arrested. You know, she, she walks out on the check. She's, she is that person, but she's still endearing. She's, you know, she's, she's a thief. She's still endearing. She's still kind of cool. Exactly what we were saying in Who's That Girl, where it was like, when you found out that Nikki Finn was a thief, you were just like, ugh, and she's a thief. Yuck. Susan being a thief, who cares? She looks good doing it. I have never been able to shop for a pair of shoes without keep it on the carpet in the back of my mind. <laughs> Can I say though, I would not have traded that jacket for those shoes. That oh, jacket shoes were either. vicious. She, the boots, the jacket, the the drum, the drum box kit, the hat. Was, is it a hat box or a part of a drum kit? That box is part of a drum kit, right? That'd be a, oh, be a big yeah, hat. Yeah, that makes sense. I be a big, because that. no, because also too, the skulls match the skulls on the van. It's his band. Oh totally. my God. The yes. yeah. Oh the my God. Yeah. I did notice that for the, after like the 500 times that I've watched that movie, I noticed that for the first time this watch that the skulls on her bag match the van of the band. Yeah. I love that connection. That's so yeah. funny. I never, I just thought it was a really huge hat box or something. No, it's, yeah, yeah no, so it's, it's the equivalent, so it's the equivalent of wearing your boy, your boyfriend's varsity jacket or something like she's walking mm -hmm. around with a piece of his drum kit. And, and they're such a cool couple. They're so Oh my God, cool. relationship goals, people, relationship Seriously, goals. but she is uh, like stone cold cool. When she leaves the hotel room, everything she's wearing, everything that's happening, I'm like, I want her whole, everything. Everything. This you whole know, there, vibe. I need this whole vibe to be me right now. I'm 100% on your side. And, and even later on in the film, she is shacking up with, what's his fucking name? Gary, right? He's, she's at Gary's house. They're not shacking up. They're not having sex, but she's at Gary's. Her outfit is ludicrous. It's like his boxer shorts. And then she's got white garters on and she's got a wife beater and then she has a, t a, um, a dress shirt on and her ass like leaves the house like that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you'll look good. You're yeah. doing looked, it. That, that's actually one of my favorite outfits in the whole yeah. movie. She works that but, look hardcore, but those three twin, the, the triplets, does anyone else have a lifelong weird, uh, like what, 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 what the three triplets? You know, so Tell those me. three triplets, there's a documentary about those guys. They were separated at birth and then found each other later in life. And it was, they were just hanging out in Manhattan this one day, right where they were shooting that scene. And Susan Seidelman saw them and said, hey, would you guys want to be um, in the background in this movie? And so she, they just wound up being in this movie. Fucking magic, but, because they are such a part of it. That that part is burned into my brain. I was like, what's with the fucking triplets? How do you even find triplets? Because they're just standing on the, as always. Thank you, Christian. The mention of that costume made me think about something else when it comes to the production design and the costume design. What I love is so much of this film is about New York at that time and to see what New York was like in the 80s, but then also to see how people in New York looked in 1984. When you see Madonna walking around in her outfits, we think right now about, you know, Madonna's style in the 80s, and that's how everybody looked in the 80s. But you see Madonna walking around in these scenes and these outfits, and no one else looks remotely close to her right. in terms of that style, right. which really like drove home for me. Like she really was so bold and in such 
ownership of her appearance and her sexuality and her style and all of that. No wonder all these girls just like completely went berserk over her. She Absolutely. Just, like, yeah. And when Rosanna Arquette, so after, after Rosanna Arquette, we, you know, bumps her head and, and is living out of um, Madonna's bag and wakes up Des to go get breakfast. And she's wearing that amazing green dress and all of the, the necklaces and the gloves and the shoes and the everything. And he's like, what is that? Some kind of disguise as if he's never seen this look before. And that struck me. Cause I was like, didn't, Oh, right. She was a trailblazer. No one knew who she was. And this style was new. Holy mm -hmm. shit. Like that was, and he was like, no, it's actually kind of charming. It's like, wow, this really mm -hmm. was the beginning of an era. This really was the inception of this institution of Madonna for us as a visual icon. Exactly. And apparently the, the costume designer just loved her style. And so the costume designer had her wear a lot of her own clothes in this movie. How would you even including... try to style Madonna? How would you even? Right. <laughs> but then, but then uh, there's a scene where she, when she's sitting outside of the magic club and her friends just gotten fired from her job, she's wearing a shirt and it says MC. Mm -hmm. it, those are her initials, yeah. Madonna Chicago. Yeah. I thought yeah. that's really funny. Crystal had good style too. Uh-huh. Oh, you know, I mean. Outfit. Yeah, like a lot, a, a lot of what she had going on was brilliant. And what I thought was great, though, is that, again, attention to detail, right? So Crystal, as much as she does have style, she wears a lot of neon, whereas Madonna does not. However, Madonna lost all of her clothes. So clearly she's borrowing clothes from Homegirl, right? And that's why in that scene, she's wearing neon as well. Oh, so it's clearly oh. that it's like not because it, she looks different in that, right? She doesn't, it's yes. not like her style. And it's so on point that yet you like, if you look at it, it's like, oh yeah, she looks like, she looks like her friend more, like she's in someone else's clothes. Oh my That's God, amazing. Amy. I, look at you, production design 101. I love Ooh, it. Hey, You're teaching us a master, giving us a master class on production design. When we get to, when we get to Crystal though, the minute we walk into the magic club, like my next note is like every fucking thing, every fucking thing in the magic club is perfect. I could, if I could transport to the magic club and just be like, that be my life, my reality. I live in the magic club. I would be fine <laughs> with it. Anne Magnuson is the cigarette girl. She's just this bit part, but she's magnetic. Magnetic Magnuson as the cig cigarette girl. <laughs> like your eyes are drawn to her. Everyone that's sitting in the club, what they're wearing, they all look fabulous. It is styled to the teeth. And I just love the idea of a magic club. I would go. Oh, I know. And not the magic castle, a proper magic club. A, project, a like proper magic that, club. That people smoke cigarettes in. So our, our plot here of the film is that when um, Madonna is, is in the hotel room and she leaves, uh, now I can only call him Richard Hell, now that that's who he is. When he leaves, she leaves Richard Hell in the hotel room, she is seen from the back, meaning her jacket is seen with the, with the pyramid on it, by the towhead bad dude, Nolan. Right. So she's seen by him on her way out as she sneaks out. Nolan goes in and kills Meeker. Madonna shows up in or Susan shows up in New York City. Um, then there's, of course, the famous, famous scene where she's at the Port, uh, Port Authority 
uh, oh my God. The, um, bathroom and she and she's drying her hair and her hands and then she her she, armpits just oh, one girl. of those moments that's so iconic and and she's just it's just she's just so effortlessly cool and like she's not even really trying she's just like I'm just gonna blow dry my bangs and my bangs blowing up in the air even that looks really cool and then she goes over and she's like oh god you know it's hot out I'm gonna change from this one mesh top to this other mesh top <laughs> it's, got a, it's got it's got a more open weave it should be much more refreshing and I remember thinking too that like you get that's the other thing there's only a hint of nipple throughout this entire movie. There's no like full on boobage and it's so much hotter than full on boobage. And like when she's in the hotel room and she's just kind of like, you know, Madonna-ing her way around the bed and like just sitting in this kneeling position and like taking pictures and moving her, she's just, just being a free normal woman moving the way she moves naturally. There's just nothing contrived. It's so refreshing. It's so great. Absolutely. Because there's... women know, women know what is sexy. Women know that like just being yourself is really, really hot. And like, yeah, and I, it, it is that. It's bullshit. I mean, I think what she's keyed into is she's just so liberated. And there's this carefree, careless thing that she has that she's just so comfortable in her own skin. And that's sexy enough. That doesn't, she doesn't need to put on any airs whatsoever. And it's not vulgar. Like, and it's funny because I think when, when we were younger with Madonna and the Madonna craze and the lack of virgin, and she, that's what she was called. Of course, she was called vulgar. She was called, you know, explicit and disgusting. And you watch it now and it's just like, not at all. Like what we see now when it's just in your face. I mean, like you could argue that maybe in 30 years, people will be looking back and saying that was nothing, but Madonna wasn't, in my opinion, when I'm looking at her now, it's like she wasn't being sexually explicit at all. She was just being liberated. Yeah, it's That's so wild it. to think that the hot water she got into, got into for just having her belly button exposed in the, like, the Lucky Star video, you know, and how, how different things are now. But I think that part of it is that if a man had directed that movie, they would have um, shown us a very different Madonna. They would have ah, objectified they her in yeah. some way. Yeah, the fact that this absolutely. is a woman that directed it, she, you can tell that the director admires Madonna's level of self-possession and comfort with herself and her body. And she's in like in awe of it. And that's part of how the film is shot is like, you can tell that the director and the, the cinematographer are in awe of Madonna's presence, as opposed to wanting to like control her or uh, manage her, capitalize or, her on yeah. something. That's yeah, probably and- it. Like you just don't have that that like pan over the body because it's just not directed by a man. Is it that simple? There's no need <laughs> to control or own her sexuality. You can just let it be what it is mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. let it be the experience that it is of her just being her her own human self. When it comes down to it, she there's nothing vulgar about it. You know, you do not see too much skin. Like there's nothing bad about it. It is that perfect in-between where it's just somebody feeling their fucking selves and just being comfortable in their skin. But that's what's so threatening is freedom. That's what's so threatening. It's liberation. That's that's the threatening part. Yeah. Oh my God. I think that's part of the secret to her success actually is that she knew how to like, she knew that the music that she chose to do, the way that she chose to dress was going to, 
titillate one part of the population and enrage another part of the population. And it was just, she, and I think that's something so interesting about her career in general, that she just knows like pop music is a way to really get at the core of what we're not letting ourselves express in our culture. So she just like, she's just so, I think she's very clever. And as a, as, as a figure, as a performer, she's so clever. So enraging when you think about who's that girl where she was trying to, needed to fake any of this because when it's just effortlessly her. Exactly, it's, it's almost perfectly, it's almost perfectly titled in this. It's like, who is that girl? That's not the same cool ass girl that was in Desperation. <laughs> who the fuck is that? <laughs> who <are> you? <laughs> For real. So exactly. Roberta is obsessed with um, Susan and she goes to New York just so she can grab a glimpse of Jim and Susan um, meeting up together, right? So they go down, she goes down to Battery Park and she sees their rendezvous. Oh my God, though, can I such a moment, right? So of course it's all so romantic and I'm completely on board with this personal ad love affair. When Madonna, though, lights up a cigarette, takes a massive, huge drag, blows it out, and the next thing she does is plant her mouth on Jim. Dude, I was nauseated. <laughs> I forgot how much smoking was an indication of cool all through the 80s, and that that's just not a thing now. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to so bad. Oh, my God. That's the grossest thing I've seen in a minute. Like, it really... Ugh. That actually happened to me with my first kiss when I was, I don't know, 14. I was dating, dating. I was hanging out with some really cool goth girl that was older than me. And she smoked Benson and Hedges. And we were sitting in a parking lot. And she like takes this big drag off her Benson and Hedges, blows out the smoke, grabs my hair, and then just started kissing me. And I remember being like, Oh my God, this is my first kiss. Oh my God, her breath is disgusting. <laughs> what <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I was like, the yeah. only thing that could taste worse than that kiss is hot dog water, dude. That shit is oh. nasty. That's so gross. I have to say though, so Robert, oh, Robert. Joy, he's cute. AF and he now is like a character actor he continued and, and you've seen him in tons of things but he usually plays like a member of the White House staff or you know a doctor or you know even he plays very um, like a principal at a school like that's the roles he plays he's always in a suit whereas in this he's like this rocker he is so sexy I'm into it I'm into it and what I'm not into is that it was almost Bruce Willis. Ooh, Bruce Willis this would have been a very part, different movie. And oh, Robert Joy God. won out over him for oh, this role. Oh, thank God. Ew. You want to know another funny miscast, almost miscasting moment? Yeah. Is that the character of Susan was supposed to be kind of like an aged hippie and they wanted Diane Keaton to play it. No! Though I did- Could you um, imagine? Can you imagine the alternate version of this in another distant universe with Diane Keaton and Bruce Willis? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I better, I, I, oh my god. They should make it now. 
They should. They really <laughs> should. Absolutely. It'd be amazing. Anyway, here's one of my first beefs with the film, however. You know, Susan tells Des about the the murder, which she, of course, has read in the newspaper and that they're looking for her. He gets really worried, but he's got to go to Buffalo to play a show. So he gives Susan Des's number and says, "Okay, you know, take this number and, and he can help you. Here's my first ish. If I was a dude and I had a friend that looked like Aiden Quinn, I would not in a thousand years never give my tele or give his telephone number to my girlfriend who I'm obsessed with for help. You he's oh my god, his eyes, those arms, Lord Jesus, he is so everything hot. He's I can't even so really discuss hot in this. this. It's insane how hot Aiden Quinn is in this movie. It's actually my second note. One time, (laughs) Amy's mom, when Amy and I were living together, Amy's mom came over and the three of us somehow decided to watch Desperately Seeking Susan. And we had this feature on our DVD player when you you could pause and you could zoom in. And you know that scene when he's gets out of bed naked and you can see his butt for like a split instant. We paused it and we zoomed in I'm on dead. Queen's butt. The three of us, me, Amy, and her mom, all just sat there and <laughs> oogling and talking about Aiden Quinn's bare ass for a really long time. I have no recollection of this, but I do not, um, I'm not denying it. No recollection, <laughs> not denying. I've ever no heard. Not denying. Oh my God. He's so gorgeous in this film. I can't even take it. I don't even know, I know. what more to say about it. Oh my God. I wish I could well, hit my head and open my eyes and Aiden Quinn be the first thing I see. Like, God, give me, <laughs> tempt me with a brain injury, God, if it means I get to meet Aiden Quinn. Also, too, you know what I thought? Like, she's fucking hits her head on a pole and then hits the ground. And he's like, can you remember anything? No. Do you know who you are? No. I'm okay. And then he picks her up off the floor and then puts her on the back of the scooter. And all I could think <clears throat> is somehow in the eighties, you could crack your head on a fucking pole, hit the ground and get up on a, get on a scooter. And the character, you want to go to see a doctor? No, I'm fine. Sorry. <laughs> I have amnesia, but I'm cool. Clearly have amnesia. Yeah. Can I say though, what is that? The, the amazing line during that Des says during that scene is um how can you have deja vu if you can't remember anything like (laughs) one of my favorite lines because Des is a great character you know it's not only that he's gorgeous okay like we, we we've gotten that out of our system no not really we'll probably bring it up again he's like like Aiden Quinn a brought his a game and b the characters are really just well rounded he's not just this like mopey dude who's just like there he's he like starts the whole thing with his girlfriend leaving him and he's having a really bad day like he's got this kind of like I don't have time for this no drama like he's he's pretty well-rounded you know he's got a job but he he has sexy boyfriend material from beginning to end his job is like a projectionist at an art um art house movie theater on Bleecker Street I mean I'm dying here I'm dying. I just want to yeah, go yeah. back to the 80s and marry this fictional character. So then we we recognize that Roberta is now the luckiest girl on earth that she has amnesia and has gotten to be have amnesia while having the phone number in her pocket of the hottest dude in New York. And they get <laughs> well, to eat Chinese food on the roof. 
and have a kiss. And then he's a gentleman and sleeps on the floor and just, he's just on that floor serving body, yaddy, yaddy, yaddy. I'm so, he's just, I'm not out of the system. <laughs> well, you, you not out of the system. going back to the, the plot. So after Jim leaves to go do his show and Susan is in New York city trying to lay low, she goes to a vintage clothing store. Love saves the day that was actually in New York city. This is where she trades her shoes for the jacket. Roberta, who's been following her around the whole time, ends up going in, buying said jacket, wears it home. Her her fucked up husband kind of makes fun of her, makes her feel bad for wearing it, even though she likes it a lot. What does he yeah, say? He, he says some fucked you, up you shit. Bought a, you, bought a second, you bought a used jacket? What are we, poor? Well, that's before it was cool. Like, that's what I mean. Like, that's one of the reasons this was so cool to me because my mom and I did vintage thrifting in the early 80s. Like, we always, like, I was wearing snoods in the seventh grade because, like, I was really into old school fashion and I was getting fucking made fun of and beat up for it. Like, thrifting and vintage was always a part of life. So hearing someone say something like that because we had plenty of, like, more straight-laced family members that would say that kind of shit to us all the time. I have to concur because I'm just going to share my first time meeting Sasha story. I met you at Alex's birth. Alex, who was on this show, it was her birthday party and you were wearing a vintage men's blazer with like, it was like kind of like a lounge lizardy looking blazer with a satin collar. The red you one. You had on high wa- high waisted 1950s men's trousers, Doc Martens, cat eye glasses, and a sh- a Shriners hat with the tassel. <laughs> and I saw you from across the swimming pool because this was at Alex's uncle's house or something. And I was like, "That girl is the coolest person." at this party, I need to be her friend. (laughs) (laughs) Sasha, I don't know if you and I can have a deeper bond, but I was definitely into snoods. I used to wear them all the time when I was in junior high. I thought they were- Fucking snoods, man. They were really cool. But yeah, these call me hairnet girl and shit. And be like, you just don't understand vintage. (laughs) Fuck Bart Simpson shirts. Snoods are where it's at. way cooler than a Bart Simpson shirt way 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 fucking cooler I remember that very very well yeah I remember showing up to the pool party in a lounge jacket and men's trousers at a fez and yeah being like oh god now I have to put on a bathing suit I wish I could just stay in this forever (laughs) so Roberta goes ahead and when she gets home she finds the key to the locker where Susan has put her suitcase with all this of is after bed. though she does not wash her hands before she starts cooking and you know how i have a thing about <laughs> i can't not notice shit like that in a movie and i'm just like bitch wash your hands you've been in the city all day stop touching the megs filthy so her solution of course is to place a personal ad to you know desperately seeking susan i want you know i need to meet with you regarding a key uh, from a stranger Uh, Again, see, this is where it gets very screwball comedy. Des has shown up because Jim read the personal column as well. He's worried about Susan, so he asks him to go to Battery Park to check in on Susan, telling him, of course, the one thing, 
she she looks amazing. She's gorgeous. And she's got this jacket, which of course now Roberta has. And Susan on her way to Battery Park, of course, doesn't pay her cab fare and gets arrested. So that's why she is out of the mix. Good going, stranger. So here is a little funny tidbit about that cab driver going back to that concept that we were talking about earlier of like the casting for this movie and how it was so representative of a who's who of the downtown New York scene. So the cab driver is named Rockets Red Glare, was named, he passed away in 2001. The Rockets Red Glare was a character actor who also happened to be a drug dealer downtown to a lot of the people in downtown New York. In addition to that, he also was Jean-Michel Basquiat's bodyguard who Madonna, actually Madonna and Jean-Michel Basquiat were in a relationship for a while. So it's just so funny to think like Madonna's playing Susan, Rockets Red Glare is playing the taxi driver. What did they talk about between takes at the craft service table? Like oh clearly God. they must have known each other. Hottest conversation in the city. And I was just thinking, would Jim's reading of the personal ads to even see that ad placed by air quotes, a stranger be the equivalent of today stalking someone else's likes on Instagram? Cause like, if you didn't, pa- if you didn't place that ad and you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe not as liberated and as evolved as Susan. Although, and also doesn't he say to him, doesn't he say to Des at some point that he thinks that she's ready to settle down and that like, he thinks that like, he's going to be able to like make it happen with her. Doesn't yeah. he say oh, something yeah. like that? Yeah. He, he says does. that at the end. Yeah, yeah. 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 So he's got, he's got a little bit more of a possessive thing going on clearly than, uh, than Madonna does. Yeah, and it's it's terrible. I'm gonna say this, uh, but it's the cute possessive kind where it's just that he loves her so much, isn't it? That's what you feel off this film. Yeah, like he's a sentimental, sweet punk guy. He's he's yeah. you know he's got a good heart. Yeah, like, like he's the poor. sentimental, sweet punk punk guy that's going to eventually become maybe like a second grade teacher. Like he's not going to be a musician forever. <laughs> This is when the action really begins. Roberta not knowing who she is and just trying to piece together all the clues in the suitcase and and just trying to figure things out. And I love this about the script because Roberta is, she like innately she knows who she is, right? Like she is just Roberta. She's not someone else. But he asks her questions like, is it an ex-lover of yours? And her first answer is like, oh, no, no. And then she takes a beat and she goes, well, maybe. Like, and, and there's just like so much in her kind of fantasy of what could be possible with her. Like as much as she has now amnesia, she is like finally liberated that she could be anyone. And R- Rosanna Arquette and the script do it so well where it's just like this woman kind of, finally being able to break free from this like boring desperate housewife situation and enter this kind of just total freedom of not having any idea who she is so she could be anyone yeah like when he asked her like what would you do when she's got she's like it's breakfast it's my treat he's like did you rob a bank she's like i don't know maybe I think all the, like, it's just so much fun, but it's, it's even more than that. It's like, I found myself wishing that, um, like, I love my life and I'm very happy right now, but wouldn't it be great if you knocked your head and you could just be anyone? 
That's what I'm saying. If I could bonk, if I could bonk my head and wake up and have Aiden Quinn be the first thing I saw, I'd be fine to have no memory <laughs> of anything. This film makes a case for amnesia. <laughs> did you um? Did you want to have a moment for Des's cat? It's just a beautiful, sexy. It's a really thing. nice cat, and it's uh, for for an, a cat to be that well-behaved in a movie. Do you know what I mean? Like that cat was, I mean, mind you, the cat gets to spend most of its time in Aiden Quinn's arms. So where else would you want to be? Like, it's just so content to just be there. The scene is so phenomenal though, when when he like wakes up to pick up the cat, but then sees, uh, you know, Roberta slash Susan through the fish tank and she's getting dressed. So he takes a cheeky kind of pervy moment with her. Um, but then, of course, he, he turns away, and the second she turns, he he quickly goes in, and then he he like gets under the covers and pulls the cat, pulls the cat in. in. Like, just, just a good-looking man snuggling a cat. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> happening here. Um, and then, of course, the the next one when he's in his hammock and the and the kitten's just sitting right there. You know, I think I would argue that in these two scenes, this cat is more impressive than Murray. <laughs> We go out to breakfast we we find out again like how how infamous susan is with this jacket because the instant it's seen someone is like get the fuck out of here it's that crazy girl with the jacket again and so we just know that like the fact that roberta is being mistaken for susan is not necessarily a good thing for her at this point she goes on to the magic club trying to piece together the few clues that she has found in this drum kit box um, just in time for Crystal to have lost her job so that she herself can be hired as the magic assistant replacement. And I don't know if you guys know this about me, but aside from astronaut, my dream care, my dream career as a child was magician's assistant. And I believe it came oh. from this movie because all I wanted was to wear frilly dresses and be sawed in half. And <laughs> mainly for the outfits, not for the magic, just for the outfits. Meanwhile, Gary has made a police report to find Roberta, but he's kind of fallen to bits, right? His sister is is kind of grilling him about, about whether or not he could give Roberta orgasms. Uh, Larry's there as well, and, and they're both eating. And she's like, how can you guys eat at a stressful time like this, like a crisis like this? And they're like, we're nervous. What do you want us to do? And she says, um, then take a volume like a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it interesting how in the 80s, people looked much older than they actually were? Because she went on to be Miss, uh, to be Aunt Jackie on Roseanne like five years later and looked so much younger five years later than she did in all that makeup and the severe hair and everything. So, so funny. With that, actually, it's shocking how young Madonna looks. Like she's so round baby face and the cheeks and the jaw. Like she is just pure fucking collagen on a neck. Like honestly. <laughs> and, and you know what? And she's not like rail thin. She's thin, but she's not like, she's just like this really cute and sexy woman who's totally youthful. Like, I don't know how to explain it. It's just like, she is authentic. There is no- She's possible. a natural human. I mean, we talked about this in Coming to America too, when Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall are in the, the fight scene and they're just two shirtless men that haven't had to be jacked up within an inch of their life 
you know, to have, you know, uh, biceps the size of my entire torso. She, she's not emaciated thin. She's a dancer. She has a body that she uses and it reflects what she does with her body. All of them are just natural human beings in their shape. And now that's not to say that any of them weren't affected by the very toxic culture of Hollywood and maybe had whatever issues they might've had with food. But this was pre-exercise obsession. And it's mm-hmm. really nice to see people with just normal, natural muscle tone, normal, natural bodies that haven't been sculpted. And actually, I hate you to use this word, but it's true, curated. <laughs> a curated physique to look like a certain thing. It's really nice to just see human beings moving on screen. So basically the way Gary um, kind of finally gets a clue is his housekeeper comes with a bag that, and it's from the vintage store where Roberta bought the, uh, the jacket. And it's probably the best scene in the movie, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> He sees this bag and he connects the dots finally that that bag came from the city. And that's one of the last places she went before she went crackers, went off the rails and left him. And he tries to take it from her. The way she says this, I'm sorry, you ain't getting this back, (laughs) baby. (laughs) No, 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 Gary, no. No, 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 baby. It's not happening. I'm dying dying to see the edited scene where we find out what Gary had to do to get the bag. What did that bag cost Gary? Because <laughs> she was not giving that fucker up. Gary gets the bag. He shows up in the city. He shows up to the store. I love how also too that the guy who owns Love's, Love Saves the Day, or at least the, guy, the counter guy, when he sells Roberta the jacket, he immediately flips it from the jacket used to belong to Jimi Hendrix to Elvis Presley because maybe that speaks to her more suburban tastes i love that i really love that um and then this is how gary gets finally the guy behind the counter who really doesn't give a fuck about anything at all for some reason his heart softens at the idea of this suburban dude looking for his wife and decides oh okay i'll give you this number that's sitting six inches from me that has to do with the jacket and this is how gary and madonna come to know each other he calls oh calls yes I was just going to say, not to interrupt, but to interrupt, mm-hmm. I, I, maybe it is um, uh, vintage stores in New York City. That's maybe a thing because those people were dick faces. Like, I don't know if this still happens, Christian. Maybe you can, you can uh, relay, but. This is a universal thing. We yeah. all, anyone who stepped foot into a vintage store knows that the clerks at the vintage stores are not necessarily always going to be the nicest or most gregarious personalities. And I, that's actually something I really love about the actor that's in this movie, uh, in Desperately Seeking Susan, the, the like the mullet haircut that he's got and like the whole, like his whole aesthetic is so spot on good. And he's just like, so disaffected and annoyed. And when Gary Glass goes in, he's like, yo man, I don't get into domestic disputes. All right. So he's just so good. Anyway, again, another way this film is like pitch perfect, like even just in the attitude of a guy who has a couple lines in the vintage shop, they still know that it's a full character and that's exactly what he's embodying. That's all I wanted to put out there. (laughs) So, Um, So Gary gets the number, he calls Madonna and Madonna's like, oh, okay, you're the witch's husband, the one who's got my shit, cool. I can help you meet me here. 
And we get to the club where we finally get to hear some Madonna music in the club. We get to hear Get Into the Groove. And it's so fucking well done and not a f- like grating and in your face the same way they did it in Who's That Girl? Where it was just like any opportunity to use Madonna's music, they did it. It was just used. It was so perfectly perfectly placed in the film. Everyone that's in the club, I have a lot to say about this, is perfect. I feel like mm, they just called love. their friends. In the scene, when Gary's in the scene of, of the elevator before he gets out and he is just surrounded, he's, he's blocked out by this crew of new romantic goths who look like they've just had like a very serious committee meeting about something. Mm. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's a very serious vibe amongst them in this elevator. And then they get off and Gary gets out and he's like, oh my God, and realizes what a different world he's in before, of course, Madonna spies him from across the room as and could not be anyone other than suburban Gary Glass. When they hit the dance floor, though, I die. I die inside of joy and excitement because I realize that this is where Christian learned to dance because the second she hits the <laughs> dance floor and her arms go above her head, I'm like, that is the first move Christian always busts when he hits the <laughs> dance floor every single time. Every time. <laughs> I don't know. It's your move. It's I your so, signature move. I am blushing move. so hard right now. What's that? <laughs> it is. It's your signature move. Now, Christian, it's also it's a it's such a relaxing way to dance. You can like feel the <laughs> the movement, but like you can also just do this. You know, it's so good. Her arms up over the head and just kind of like lean into it. It's really fun. So this is a very famous club. It's called Danceteria. It's unfortunately no longer around, but it was the hot spot of the early 80s. Anyone who's everyone was at Danceteria. Definitely like a counterculture space. It's where a lot of alternative music acts, when they were coming through New York, that's where they would perform. But it also happens to be where Madonna actually used to work there, as well as be a uh, a constant club goer there back before she was famous. And she worked in the, I believe it was in the coat check room. And another fun fact is that when this movie was being made, she'd already wrapped production on Like a Virgin and Into the Groove was a song that got, I think, cut from the lineup of the songs. I don't know why, because it's one of my favorite songs of all time and probably one of her best songs ever. But she just was like, hey, do you mind if we just play this song when they were filming it. And then um, when the film went into post-production, Warner Bro- they had to ask Warner Brothers permission to use the, film, the song for the film. They were like, yeah, we're not gonna put it on our album so you guys can just have it. And so it actually never wound up being on any of her albums. It was just a, a B-side to her single Angel. So, but when we think of that movie, we think of that song. And when we think of 80s Madonna songs- Wait, are you serious? Into the Groove is not on an actual album? That's how famous she was. Wow. She made her fail, but that's how famous she was. Even her B-sides became chart toppers. So whilst all this is happening, uh, Roberta has her first, uh, Roberta slash Susan has her first night at the club. Uh, It goes miserably. Um, As she walks home, Nolan is behind her and he accosts her and knocks her down again. Wait, this is after a very dramatic run 
carrying a bird cage. And the way she's like carrying these birds and like trying <laughs> to have anything bad happen to them is so tender. And like, I get really upset though when she does book it around a corner and make it into the back of some like industrial building. And she finds the creepiest creepy night guard of this building and asks him please to help her and this is also just like such another wonderful kind of feminist moment because this is the shit that women have to deal with and that women have to fear a guy is chasing me and the only fucking thing that's going to make a guy stop chasing me is another fucking guy so i find another fucking guy and it turns out that that fucking guy is sitting in a dark corner eating a sandwich stuffed with cheese puffs i don't know if you're fucking cheetos He's eating a ham sandwich with Cheetos in between the bread, watching Charo. Yeah, he's watching fucking Charo. And all behind his desk are cut out pictures from like hardcore porn. There's like, oh my God. Yeah, no, he is the creepiest of Creepensteins. And then starts to- He gives her a look, right? He gives her her way more. He gives her way more than a look. The kind of thing where you're like, Roberta girl, you in danger. Like the minute this guy gets out of the picture, like go away because God only knows what he's going to do when he comes back after he chases creepy Nolan away. So that was, that was kind of an important moment. Cause that's a, those are true stories of what women have to fucking contend with. So she gets out, then she gets accosted by Nolan. Yet we have another head bonk and this brings her back around to being Roberta. What happens is after she bonks her head and she's Roberta again, cop stopper <laughs> and yeah. don't even listen to her just arrest her for prostitution just like yeah. immediately and she goes into the back of the police car where another prostitute is sitting there looking at her and asks her what do you use the birds for yeah <laughs> so how do you use the birds she calls gary but gary's ass has susan over smoking a joint acting like an idiot figuring out the universe because the dude doesn't you know how to hold the smoke and when roberta calls she hears susan's voice so she hangs up and decides to call des instead and then madonna basically squats at their house which is fucking awesome when she is in the pool in his boxer shorts and the wife beater and the way just the way it's shot that she's just so fucking cool swimming through that pool and then when she gets out and they shoot it in such a way that you don't you can't see any bush through the fucking shorts it's just so perfectly angled and shot and then she's lying on the chaise lounge drinking red wine and eating cheese puffs in the middle of the day she's drug his television out there fucking love her fucking love her fucking spirit animal yes i love that one of the um the supporting characters in this entire film are cheese puffs Mm -hmm. she's walking down the street like i think she's walking down like first or second avenue eating cheese puffs with white gloves on just popping them back like no big whoop (laughs) you just shared that the sleazy security guard had cheese puffs on his ham sandwich and then we also have her eating them by the pool but also did you guys notice how many bottles of wine she had consumed (laughs) There's at least crashed. eight <laughs> bottles of wine. She is smashed and just popping those uh, popping those cheese puffs back while watching the news on the, by the pool. It's, it's yeah. I love that whole uh, that whole scene is so good. Nefertiti, no shit. Gary gets home with Leslie, and they they see Susan there, and then we go to Roberta's bedroom 
where Susan doesn't give a fuck. She just finds the woman's diary and starts reading it. It all starts clicking. Like she's, she's had eight bottles of wine, but she has figured <laughs> everything out. <laughs> right? And, um, and then drives the car. And then, <laughs> then takes the keys and drives the car to place the ad. Word. Gary, she's taking your car. Pissed as a yak, she drives off on eight bottles of wine with a belly full of cheese puffs and manages to cohesively put together a personal ad. Des, who has bailed um, Roberta out of jail, Roberta tries to tell him the truth. I'm not Susan. My name is Roberta. I have a husband. Des just does not fucking believe anything that comes out of her mouth. They show up at his house. It's been completely trashed, but still looks phenomenal. They have, they argue and then they make love. That is the Um, quickest turnaround from being annoyed with somebody to suddenly like having sex with them. It is so fast and not organic at all. And I'm like, they needed to put in a couple other lines there to help the transition this is a this is a scene I think is pretty flawed in the film, um, I but I, I, yeah, there, I, there's like I, I just don't buy it. I don't buy that they suddenly are going to have sex. You know, they argue and she, he makes her cry, and when she starts crying out of frustration, he's like, "Hey, it's not that big of a deal." And then to comfort her, it ends up kissing, and then the kissing, which is amazing, the part that I have always loved is when he kisses her and he tries to like pick her up, but then falls. Like there's, I don't know mm-hmm. why I have always just lost it in that part. I'm just like, woo wee! I am so happy. He's sexy. Fuck. So what's what's great here is that Roberta knows who Roberta is, and Roberta realizes that Roberta doesn't really want to be Roberta anymore. But she can't, she can't continue on with the charade that she's actually Susan, but she's perfectly comfortable going back to work at the magic club because, you know, her ethics are still intact and she's got a shift. So she's got to show up to work, right? I really appreciate that about her. I do. Well, it's probably way better than going home to her husband that she's miserable with and who treats her horribly. Yeah. Like that's a non-starter. She's like, yeah, I might not have a place to live and I might not actually have a real life. But I mean, she was unemployed at the beginning of the movie, right? So now that problem solved. Got a job. Yeah, it's less than 50,000, but you know, flexible. You could get by on that back then in New York City for sure. Oh my God. I, you know, I, the, the, I do love that she, this is the moment where she's like, here's my chance to create a whole new life for myself. I've had an opportunity to see what's on the other side. I got to have a chance to experience the things I've always dreamed of. And now I see that I have the opportunity to make this my new reality. Um, it's just unfortunate because every, all of her past comes crashing into her, you know, her new life when they all show up at the, at the magic club. Yes. yes. Jim comes back, of course. And then we've got, you know, a little bit of a mistaken identity antics here. So, so Jim shows up does um, very quickly just admits to what he's done, which I think, you know, it's a shitty thing, as he says, shitty thing to do to a friend, but at least he admits it immediately, proving that he's not a complete dick face and just, you know, doesn't lie. I don't think it's dickish. Well, I, so I, I had a moment where I watched this where I was like, okay, so earlier you'd said that you think that if you were, if you were 
Jim, you wouldn't give your girlfriend Des's number because you'd be afraid that he's going to sleep with your girlfriend. But there we have this moment where he's more upset that his friend hit him on the head and possibly hurt him than he is about the fact that his he may have just caught his friend in bed with his girlfriend. Like he just really, it's like almost like there's no conversation of how did you, how did this happen that you just started sleeping with my girlfriend? That doesn't even come up at all. Oh, it's no, like a no, non-issue. no, he does. And that's, that's where he says kind of the dickish thing where he's kind of like, what the fuck, man? And he's like, look, don't cry about it. I'm crazy about her and she's crazy about me. And when he says that to her and he's like, look, don't cry about it. I'm like, that was kind of a dick thing to say. Oh, Dad. no, you're right. You slept with your friend's Sorry, girlfriend and you know that that's a shit thing to do. And now you're kind of gaslighting this dude into not believing that it's an, oh, like, like you're an asshole for doing that. Like, yeah, you're all free spirited artist types and you guys aren't, the two of them aren't married. And we all know that Susan is who she is, but he gave her your number because you're his friend and he trusted you. And then you did the thing that Amy was certain he was going to do in the first place. So what I think, what, what I think was funny was that like, they, um, they have this moment and then they move right into just like being friends again. It's like, a yeah. not, it's like the issue, they bring it up, does says some dickish things and then they move on, but he's still kind of like, he's still more, it seems like he's more upset about the fact that his friend hit him on the head because they're able to just keep going on. With, well, and also too, know. because I'm, they know who they're talking about. He's like, look, whatever she said to you, man, I can guarantee it's bullshit. Cause she plays with people. I should know I've been chasing her for years. So it's not, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not as if, if that happened, it would be so out of character that Susan yeah. slept with someone else that was a friend of his or that she ripped him off and stole some money or made 9,000 long distance phone calls. That's who she is. They, they decide to go to the club to try to track her where she has gone to the club to try to track the stranger. All of Roberta's past comes crashing down into her new future as she is laying on stage about to be sawed in half she is spotted by everyone in once at once, including Creepy Nolan, who sees the Nefertiti earring. And then he attacks her, jacks the earring, and then her husband and Des go onto the stage and then they have their moment. So oh my God, when they're backstage and they're arguing over her and then she finally st st stands up and she was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That shriek comes from so deep in Rosanna Arquette's soul. Like I really feel the like need to be heard from her as a yeah. character, as a human so profoundly, like it's shocking. Like that's just like one of the best moments of her performance in the entire movie. Weird next moment though, is when creepy Nolan on the run comes upon Jim and Madonna fucking up against the pinball machine. He nabs Madonna, makes a crack about Jim's legs where we then realize that Madonna is wearing leggings under her skirt, but that pinball machine is making a lot of noise. What was Jim fucking? <laughs> <laughs> The coin slot. Right? No. It's just like bing, bing, bing. In the background. <laughs> and she's fully clothed. Um, I always found the weird struggle between Nolan and Madonna, like the way that she's squirming and he's all over her. Very. Does anyone else have like a strange feeling about their it's, struggle it's, together? Oh, yeah. The very... struggle's very uncomfortable. Yeah. And also, it feels unrehearsed to me. It doesn't feel like they really went did any run that's what i mean i feel like boundaries like around her chest area maybe were violated there's just something very uncomfortable 
It's always yeah. made me uncomfortable because there's a quietness to it. Like they're kind of like yeah. talking it's and scary. It's like, yeah, it's scary. kind of, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's feels almost authentic. Like they really are in this crisis moment. The creepiest moment for me in that mo in that scene is like, she's struggling. And then she has this moment where she's like, I'm just going to be really still. And she gets really calm. And then she starts squirming yeah. again and trying to get away. And it just, it feels so real. It's yeah. It's, oh, it's very hard to watch. And very the way hard. he's almost like whispering to her, and I know it's because they don't want to be caught, but it's, there's also something very um, creepily intimate about it. He's like, no, no, wait, wait, wait. And I'm just like, oh God, God, no, no, God, someone please yeah. do something. And then they do. He pushes her through the window. Roberta sees it. She grabs the bottle. She bonks him out. Is it really that easy to knock a fool out with a bottle? It's, it's just such a trope that gets used <laughs> in so many movies. I wonder if it really works. Um, this yeah. film has so many head injuries in it. Right? <laughs> and everything is seeking a CAT scan. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and that really is, is how it ends there there's the knock on the head you know it, it ends with her finally getting to say the line to the stranger good going stranger <laughs> good going stranger good going stranger wait, wait we missed a very important moment in roberta's arc as a character which is when gary confronts her and is like what the actual fuck roberta what's going on she's like i need a moment alone with gary and i don't really enjoy this part of the scene where she starts trying to explain the personal it all started with susan there was this ad desperately seeking susan that part wasn't wasn't written very well it feels a little a little forced but when they're yeah. in the dressing room yeah. and she is like look man will you will you look at me and he goes over and starts fucking with the costumes as if he has any interest in it and it's because he can't do the thing that she's asking him to do which is look at her really mm -hmm. look at her and when she says that i'm not coming home i'm not coming home with you why do you want me to come home with you that's what triggers the line why do you want me to come home with you and he can't answer it he can't say because you're you're my wife and because i love you he is just not present in that relationship with her at all and that's super important that she is like gets to have that moment that it doesn't just get glossed over and the next thing we see is her show up in the projection room with des that we know that she took ownership of her life and ended that relationship with gary is really an important thing that is a really good scene i do feel that this film is so perfect in so many ways and an area where it's slightly flawed is that the ending feels so hurried and it just feels like the end of a scooby-doo cartoon or something and not like yeah. real there was an alternate end i don't know should i talk about that yet or oh I yes the alternate ending yes the ending that we have is is cute but apparently and i read this and i've seen this in, in the deleted scenes that you can get when you get the, the dvd instead of them going to men like getting in relationships and you know going having the movie end with them with their boyfriends the movie ends with them actually going to Egypt and riding through the Sahara on a camel together as two friends that have just decided to like go off and see the world together and um I read an interview with Rosanna Arquette not too long ago where they talk about the uh, desperately seeking Susan and she said that the thing that she's upset about the most is that they didn't keep the original ending because she felt like it was so much more about female empowerment and women sticking together and learning from their experiences together and and all of that as opposed to it being like 
two women living happily ever after with their cute boyfriends, you know? Yeah. So it's a shame Absolutely. that they did that. Absolutely. Yeah, happily ever after doesn't have to involve dick. You know, like, like I don't want them on fucking camels, but I would have like very much had them liked it be like them sending messages to each other in the personal ads like hey i'm coming to town mm-hmm. friend yeah you know like that would have been nice and then just to know that they can taking off taking off on the the chinese delivery boy scooter together to go and you know do their <laughs> own thing would yeah would have been way 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 yeah. more powerful and potent and appropriate for those characters than as i Absolutely. said happily ever after having to end in them being bunned up in a relationship mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. such a okay, good there's movie. one there's one thing that did take place and i'm wondering if anybody else heard this and magnuson as the cigarette girl cigars cigarettes tofu <laughs> yeah, anybody else that. hear it <laughs> that. That. what is tofu tofu is like tofu ice cream it was like the, i was like what the fuck like i rewound it like three times cigars cigarettes tofu Tofuti cuties. <laughs> like Tofuti cuties, yeah. Oh, remember when I yeah. went on a diet and that's all I was going to eat for a week? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all ate a lot of Tofutis that week. I do remember that. Any last thoughts about Desperately Seeking Susan before I do go to our transatlantic question? Just, I mean, just to say that, like, I knew that I loved this movie. I knew that there was, that I was going to be really, really happy watching this movie. I did not know until of course, within the first 30 seconds that I was like, oh yeah, not only do I love this movie, this is definitely in my top five favorite movies of the eighties because it's it's pretty much flawless. Like even the things we were like, ah, that scene was not written that great or ah, this part felt a little forced. There's nothing wrong with this movie. There's only everything right. It's just, it, it makes me so happy and I get such a, I don't know, I get so excited when I watch this film because the energy of the film, the aesthetics and all of the detail that, all, all the thought that went into all the details of this film. And I just think it's, I, I think it's actually a pretty dang perfect film. I love it so much. And I actually, to rewatch it for this, um, I had a friend over, we watched it together. She'd never seen it before, which I was so excited to How? watch this movie with somebody who had never she's younger and um okay didn't necessarily she didn't grow up with this kind of you know stuff in her world I was really excited to watch it with her but also terrified like what if she doesn't like this movie and we went we went through the whole film I could tell just her laughter her engagement she was really loving it and then after the movie she just wanted to talk about it for like 30 minutes and I it, it's so amazing that a film that's 30 almost 40 years old can still be this captivating and entertaining to somebody that's seeing it for the first time, you know? Knew that I loved it when I was younger, but just like you both have said, I just didn't realize what a good film it was. I actually really thought that I was just gonna love it for loving it and that it was, you know, nostalgic. I didn't know that it was gonna be so well-made. That's, I guess that's it. That's what really it comes down to, well-made, top to bottom. I knew it was a great film. I knew it was a film that um, that I, it warmed my heart from my childhood. I didn't know it was an important film until this watch. Another element about why this film is so important is because it is a film that was written, produced, directed, and starring women in the mid 80s. 
and it was an indie film that wound up being a global smash hit and made so much money. I'm just, it's like, it's such a success story and such a, a good feminist piece as well. Now it's time to have our transatlantic flight. On a transatlantic flight to come visit me in Wales, are you gonna watch Desperately Seeking Susan, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, or anything with ne uh, Liam Neeson? Well, that's a no-brainer for me. I think <laughs> I'm, I would probably watch back uh, Desperately Seeking Susan back to back. And then maybe while descending toward the airport, I would try and catch a little bit of my big fat Greek wedding. Just, just to like, you know, kind of break things up a little bit at the end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would just be Desperately Seeking Susan nonstop on repeat. Yeah, yeah. Nonstop flight to Wales, watching Desperately Seeking Susan. I, to be fair, I can't think of another movie that I would watch in no. front of it. So, so it was hard to do this one. So anyway. Squiggy inevitably farts once on every fucking episode and kills me that I'm trapped on <laughs> the microphone. Ah! So wrong where I'm at right now. Uh, let's, let's close this out. I got to get away from this spot for a minute. Thank you all so much for listening to our latest episode of Eating After Midnight. And thank you, Christian Van Bremen, for joining us. If you liked what you heard, please head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave us a review. And if you really like us, perhaps consider maybe supporting us on Patreon. You could also make our day by following us on Instagram at Eating After Midnight Podcast. Feel free to send us a DM with any comments, questions, or just say hello. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, please check in with us and let us know, how do you use the birds? <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless. <laughs>